Hello, and welcome to AMO Kenzoku, episode 26. We are a group of four bubblegum crisis boomer otaku who wanted an excuse to talk about anime, manga, and any related subjects we find interesting. The Kenzoku are Sam. Hello. Nick. Hello. Mike. Hey, y'all. And I am Dylan. This episode is being recorded on February 2nd, 2023. Uh, today we are continuing our discussion of Maiden Abyss TV2, The Golden City of the Scorching Sun. Uh, we haven't given a spoiler warning out in a while, but, uh, yeah, so if you made it through last episode, then it's, it's all been spoiled. Hashin! So, uh, yeah, last time we talked and got around to a lot of various plot points and got into some minutia, and we ended up kind of not even talking much about the characters. Um, but before getting into that, I wanted to come back around to the, uh, the time shenanigans as I'm, as I'm calling it here. Um, cause I went back and watched the first couple episodes of abyss season one. And, um, at the end of episode one or roughly the end, 20, 21 minutes in, in the, uh, the narrator, Liza, says that uh, about 1,900 years ago, the abyss was found. Um, so that was a clear thing there, which I think is less than we were saying, because last time we were saying it was something it was like 5,000 years old. But it could just be that that's what Liza knows, or there could have been some continuity inconsistency there. Um, but that was something that I, I, I picked up on explicitly because I was looking for that reference. So I did find that. Mm-hmm. I mean, does found mean who or whatever put the artifacts down there, or...? Mm, my guess is found by people living on the surface, and the Abyss has probably existed for a considerably longer period of time, is That's yeah, how I, I interpret thinking, it. Yeah. I mean, mm. you and you could interpret as well, like the, uh, you know, the... Christopher Columbus found the New World. Well, exactly. you know, that was a thousand years after the Vikings found it, which was 10,000 years after people crossed over the Bering Straits and all those things. So uh, I think you could apply any of those things. But according to Liza, it was found 1900 years ago. Um, which would make sense, though, from, from her perspective, which would be when probably the current settlement was formed. Yeah, I I would go with I would go on that, um, and just continuing on that because I watched a couple more apps, just a couple more kind of random things with uh, with lies and and things that I noted from watching the first season. Um, uh, Liza went down for her. They said she went down for her last dive ten years ago on in surface years. Um, so oh, did that they would actually have been, say surface years. They don't say that, but they okay. up. What I'm saying is, up on the surface, they said she went down mm. for her last dive ten years ago. There, there was no mention of any time dilation, but right. um, and that like her whistle, you know, is is basically just returned, uh, in the uh, first or is it, actually I think it's beginning of the second episode. Her whistle is just returned. Um, a couple other random things from there, which is that uh. In season one, Reg spends like two months at the orphanage before they before they head out. So he's actually there for a little while, kind of getting mm -hmm. used to to living life. Yeah, the, the the passage of time in season one was a lot more 
erratic. Like, I mean, when they were with Ozen, they trained with Ozen for quite a long time. Yeah. And then, as we discussed last time as well, there was uh, Rico's recovery period from having her arm attempting to not be an arm. Yeah. Um, One of the things that I thought was kind of cool and, like, a crazy thing is when you, uh, when Reg and Riku get to look at Liza's journal, like, the literally the first thing that you see is, uh, I forget its name, so I'm going to call it the Omega Horse. Um, oh, the, 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 are we talking about in season two or no, or? in season, in season one, when they, when they look at her journal that was sent up with her oh, whistle, I didn't remember that. So you're talking about the things in season two, the enormous, like almost seahorse yeah. face looking huge, like, like spitting horse things. Yes. The uh. things that you can't uh. kill that, that dense ra- that's literally like the drawing of that is like the first thing that you see in the journal, which I was like, well, that's pretty cool. And it like, is totally exactly the right drawing and uh in season two i think um when i think it's reg first encounters the the crazy horse or maybe it's with riku like they either grab out the journal piece or their their copy of it and they're like oh this is the thing that we had in in liza's journal yeah it was they initially all encountered it together because they were kind of strategizing how do we go well it's like well it's uh it what were they saying it's um scales are emit acid or something like that so you can't really fight it so we should just run and they're like okay sounds good and they literally just you know scuttle around it i mean it seemed like at least in the area of the sixth layer they were on and where the most of the entirety of season two takes place that those are like the apex creatures of that area like nothing else seems to really mess with them they're kind of just the ones that are more or less in charge yeah and those things are it's a yeah you're right it's kind of this it's yeah it's like a seahorse kind of design and they're weird because it seems like they would be slow but like they literally like sneak and catch up with reg when he's trying to to run around and like so they're just like incredibly quiet and then they have yes when um when fapta attacks them like even when when she gets into uh code of the beast fapta mode <laughs> um even there, she pierces its leg, and it sh- it literally shoots out this like crazy poisonous thing that doesn't quite hurt her at that point, but it like stains her fur for a while and sh- sends her flying off. Um, and that's just like its built-in natural defenses, let alone its offensive capabilities and spitting and tenacity and everything else. I mean, generally speaking, and this is to be expected, but like, you know, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but like at the end when all of the the six level creatures basically breach into um, into Irubudu and quite literally just have a field day, right? Like nothing stops them. Like they basically ravaged Fapta several times. I mean, oh, yeah. her regeneration yeah. could barely keep up. So, I mean, and that that makes sense, right? Like, this is stuff that's in the sixth layer. This is these this is big boy abyss creatures, right? I mean, even the mundane ones are going to be probably very difficult to deal with for normal people, let alone super powered people. So, that, yeah, that, like anything you see there, it's like anything you see that Fapta is having trouble with. Like, you're just like, oh my gosh, what what is even possible to not just immediately you're dead before you even saw it right which kind of to me makes it even more impressive that the 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 original party 
lasted as uh, what seemed like weeks to months in the sixth layer without with relative ease i would say air quotes well it seems like they just kind of got stopped right away right like they didn't they didn't have much time to go very far that's how i read it i guess that's a good i agree point. with that it it, it seemed like they kind point. of got like really quickly yeah kind of stuck and they realized oh we're we're stuck and they got kind of like in this little cave and then it was that's the one thing I would say about like the six layers. It seems like, and maybe it's the case with other ones too, where it seems like if you kind of are still and don't move and in your relatively protected area, you can kind of just stay there and you won't probably be found, but you'll probably also starve to death and die. Although I will say the sixth layer is also kind of the first one where we see like natural disasters that are pretty intense like when they're crossing that field where those like for lack of a better term dragon ball like explosions are occurring and they oh, just yeah. kind of a regular <laughs> occurrence i'm like they're like oh yeah this is where it rains starfire i'm like oh that doesn't sound good and then you see what happens like oh is this why nothing can really live here <laughs> like i'm yeah. like well this i mean i keep telling myself this is the sixth layer like yeah it's all sunny and you know, pristine looking, but in reality, this is, is it's still going to get, you know, harder. Where the fifth layer seemed to be mostly kind of like water and ice from yep. at least what the movie indicated. So, um, speaking of, uh, of layers in, um, as part of the Liza's, Liza's journal, like there's the drawing of Reg in it. And then in episode, season one, episode three, um, Liza's journal says, you know, she's like, says on the edge of the seventh layer, like I encountered, uh, I forget she, the, she didn't say reg, but she says, you know, I encountered the, the creature like observing me. Doesn't it know that I'm observing it too? Which is. Was that in the journal you said? Yep. Yep. That was from the journal. Did you have to stop pause to read that or was, did they read that out? Uh, no, they, they read that out loud. Um in the in the episode it's one of those things where yeah you kind of think about it but then you come back and you're like oh goodness now they're down there on the sixth in the sixth layer they're not at the seventh layer or at mm. the edge and who knows what the heck the seventh layer even is if if the sixth if the edge of the sixth layer is just basically death and you become a amoebic pile what the heck is the seventh layer yeah. But I mean, we we already knew Liza was going to be there, right? Because the entire time, the message she sends to 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 Rico is, um, I'll, "It's I can't remember the word for it, but effectively, I'll be waiting for you at the edge, at the bottom or the edge of the abyss," which infers like, yeah. whatever is actually whatever is actually at the bottom, that's where Liza's going to be. Because as far as we know right now, she's the only named character that is there currently. Maybe, maybe excluding other white whistles, we still haven't even run into yet. I mean, technically, we don't really know she's there. She could be dead, but this is this is true. We let, let's be real. She's probably not dead yet. Yes, just, for the just, story's sake. For yeah. the story's sake, I, it would be a weird twist if she actually was, and this is ends yeah. up being some sort of you know weird, worthless journey. But you know, you never know. Yeah, yeah, but all we actually know is that she made it there. Right, Somewhere. because she did discover Reg at some point. So, and it and it's something too where we're like we still don't. I think in my head, for some reason, I had thought that once, you know, once they pass through the the white whistle gate at the bottom of the fifth layer and go down to the sixth, for some reason in my head, I was like, oh, this is like the bottom layer. That's what I thought. So, 
Well, because for me, it was because when they showed um, all the experiments Bondrude was doing, it it felt that way because it was like just a black abyss, you know, kind of like the ocean floor. And so yeah. I got that impression that, oh, this is the bottom. Yeah, so that, that's what kind of got me when, when I was rewatching and and saw that part of her saying, oh, on the edge of the seventh layer. I'm like, okay, like at the end of the season, of the TV season, you kind of feel like, well, maybe there is something more and down below, but I, I feel like that statement there is the most clear, direct statement that, yes, there is a layer beyond the one that they're on. I mean, really, there could be who knows how more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Um, they only have what's been documented from what White Whistles have collected, right? So what if at some point they get so far they can't get that information back up to the surface? How far down does the the, the, the drawing go? I don't. I don't know. That's a good. That's a good question. Um, I mean, I will say the beginning of of TV TV two. Um, you know, or the, the the crew tries to send another message up because it went pretty well at the end of uh at the end of TV of TV one. I mean, they didn't necessarily know, but it got there. And then you know they had all this hope and had all these preps, and it was just like immediately destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're kind of left with this, like, oh yeah. So how much information have for people that have felt like sending information back up? How much of it has remained, and why did, like, why and how did Liza's message and White Whistle make it up? Oh, clearly it made it up in multiple steps, given that a page from it didn't make it up and was still in the city. So yep. based on whatever details I can look up in on the interwebs. Uh, the seventh layer is the final explored and known level of the abyss, but there is what they call the deepest point, which is beyond 20,000 meters, and there is no known information about it because as far as the records show, nobody has actually made it to that point yet. So it, there is a seventh layer confirmed, and there is a also more beyond it, but what lies beyond is completely unknown. I'm trying to remember, was Liza, back to the first season, was Liza's message found in what supposedly was but wasn't Liza's grave, or...? Yes, that that was inferred, because Olsen found all of that material and brought it back. But the only okay. thing that came up to the public view was the whistle. The rest of the documents were actually kept at the guild hall and not released until, I think, until they were done with the inspection. And then Rico was allowed to look at it. But those were all left at the, what's it, the level four where she was supposed to be her grave? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Yes. And I didn't get that far. And I didn't get far enough in to see that part again. Okay. So let's... Uh, Let's take kind of a, a sidestep from some of this kind of uh, uh, logistical stuff and go into some of the, the the character stuff. And Nick, I think at the uh, the end of the last episode, as your kind of epilogue, you know, you made this comment of like, you know, things that I hate, like CG that doesn't quite match, characters that add extra little flourishes to the end of every sentence, and characters that only speak like in their name. And you're like, this show has all of it, and I love it. Um, so uh, since, I, since I roughly recalled your, your statement there, Nick, I'll let you pick one of those things that you think is uh, good to address now. I mean, 
my goodness. Um, there's out of the three, two are very hard to choose from, but I think we have to go with with characters that only speak in their name, right? Because I think we all agree that after I'll say his initial introduction, like Ma quickly becomes one of the most endearing characters of season two. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I it's one of those things you're like, how did you make this like weird character <laughs> with this like with, bulbous with, thing with, with hairy it, old man butt cheeks by the way yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and you just you just love ma and you're just like ma you're the greatest i it's yeah i i'm not sure exactly what to say about ma other than just i don't understand how they made that character and have it actually work i you know i agree because I feel like it's the redemption arc, right? Like the very quick redemption arc of yeah. he, he squeezes <laughs> Prushka into like guts and then... Uh, M- Mania, Mania. Mania, sorry, yeah. Prushka, yeah. Mania. And then like uh, not really knowing what he's doing, but then sees Rico's reaction. And of course he gets uh, punished severely, but then he kind of is like, oh man, it's like he feels bad and then... Well, he there. rescues Rico from a real bad situation. Yeah, right? right? Like, like he, oh, he kind that, of earns that it That scene... Rewatching that out of all the scenes in Abyss, that's one of the hardest for me to rewatch just because of just the implication and like kind of the sinisterness of that scene. <laughs> which um, which one? The one, the scene where Rico kind of gets uh, conned into that alley with the weird. Oh, like, yeah. And like there's right. like a lot of heavy breathing. I'm like, ooh, I don't like this, guys. This, yeah. this is no bueno. Yeah. And then. Uh... And then the of course, scene. yeah, oh uh, yeah. And then they, of course, they go for Mania first, and you know, Mania is getting squeezed again. And then, and then, Ma, you know, Ma shows up and freaking hero shoulder checks them before the balancing happens. <laughs> and we actually don't get to see what happens to those characters, but we do see them appear again throughout the rest of the season. So obviously, the balancing did not, you know, take too much of a toll. Probably because they ultimately didn't really take much even if their intent was to, so. Yeah, that's but, a fair point. But, I mean, I would say that we were also spared, you know, having, like, I'm not going to lie, one of the things I feared most was I knew something was going to happen to Ma, I just didn't want to see it happen. And for fortunately for the fans, we really didn't have to see Ma's demise. It just He just kind mm-hmm. of went went into the ether and left Rico with the little weird doll that she made him because she felt bad he lost his during the balancing so that was kind of a sweet like farewell thing and you know hear the distant ma in the in the background everyone just kind of like oh he's gone oof yeah yeah that was when i'm like wow you actually didn't didn't kick us while we're didn't kick us while we're down there and actually just let someone kind of just almost from rico's perspective you get her perspective where you know, she just closes her eyes, kind of, and reopens, and Ma's just gone. Yeah, I mean, of course, immediately after that, we see the you know Vuiko's final scene, and that's oh, geez, was that enough. was worse. For me. That was that, that was enough for me. I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay, please, please let her let it end mercifully now, because this is really, really difficult. But yeah, but yeah, I would say Ma is quite possibly the only character in all of anime that speaks in only its name that I actually like. I, I really am hard-pressed to think of any other one that I can even remotely tolerate. Yeah, because most of the other ones are like some weird little mascot character that's I mean, so was, so was he. 
Like he was a weird mascot looking character. Yeah, like, I don't know if he is... gets mascot grade though. Like he's uh, Menya is yeah yeah more than yeah. mascot. Yeah, that's true. Um... Or 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 Mitty in a pot. That's, a, that's like a mascot <laughs> yeah. Too. It's a great keychain. <laughs> yeah, Mitty in a pot. Um, but I, one of the things with Ma that I thought was like at first you're like oh this person's like you're kind of like, oh, they're, they're mean. And then you're like, oh, they're kind of an idiot. And then by the end of it, you're like, oh, this was literally just like a very young child. Uh, At least that was the impression that I got. That, that was the impression that I got of Ma was that it they were a very young child. Um, maybe. And that's what I kind of put. And I was like, oh, like young kids, like they'll grab a cat because they don't know. And they'll like squeeze a cat accidentally if they're not taught to be careful around it. Um, and you know, that, that's, that's the interpretation that I came to. And the thing with like having all of like these little like stuffed animal type toys and things like that, um, that was the interpretation that I came to. You know, I think that's, that's definitely a valid interpretation. Um, I didn't really think about that because I just kind of viewed Ma as like the ultimate bro. Like Ma was kind of the, the came thing that kept Rico what's what's the like it, it, what gave gave Rico like a a grounded point in in Uruguru like she didn't really have like anybody else to rely on until she you know started to to do the her thing with uh with the luring and got, got to know Mugi really well but Ma was always there for her from the beginning yeah um one thing I wonder is how long it's been since anyone new has been to the city yeah, that that's kind of a that that's a great question there, Mike. Um, and that's what I was kind of thinking with. Uh, I think I forget everyone's names, but the uh, I'll call her the chef. Oh, Moogie. Yeah, Moogie, because because um, she's there and she speaks. I'll call it common. I'll call it modern modern common tongue. Whereas a lot of the other ones that speak in either tones or in like half ancient tongue. And that, that was a, a good question I had there is, yeah, because the city has been there for a while. And clearly a lot of these people, at least that was my impression that a lot of them were not there when the city was initially formed. So they've been accumulating there over the years as people get down to that level mm. and then realize that they can't continue, but that the city is there as a salvation. But yet no one there really seemed like a white whistle as we know them under the modern system either. Yeah, they, right. they they inferred that these were all adventurers who they basically failed at the gates. They couldn't finish get to the finish line, so the city was their is was their new goal and they they kind of, you know, are, were had to live with that. But in return, if they gave themselves to the city, the city would offer its protection and its services. And that's why the society... That's why Vueco even said when she was released, like, you know, initially I really hated that they... Ter- I really disliked the city and didn't like existence, but now it's actually a very nice place with a lot of really nice people in it. So, you know, over however, let's call it centuries, you know, however many years... Um, it accumulated, you know, travelers who failed to keep going in the abyss, and they just were integrated in, and 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 it worked. It was a functional society. So, but I, I guess they, they had to have all been at least white whistle class, right? Or or led there by a white whistle, since they had to pass through the 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 lift, right? Which requires 
a white whistle. That that or they got lucky like that first party and just found happened to find something that had a white whistle. I, I feel like that's yeah. kind of one of those uh, MacGuffins that they had to that the they had to realize. Oh, we gotta we gotta like uh, figure that out since otherwise how do <laughs> how do other people get here, right? So I feel like that's kind of left left to the side primarily and just. I feel like it's it, it would be a it's. I'll just say I guess it's more interesting to assume that at least a sizable majority of them were white whistles or led there by white whistles than just happened to find them. But I'd like to think that if they were a white whistle class that they wouldn't have gotten, they wouldn't have stopped there. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like the concept of white whistle is still, as we know it, is still a very, very, like, powerful entity. Like, even potential, you know, on the probably on the order of, of I would say, you know, like reg or or beyond reg even or uh or fopta right because ozen it like combating reg was incredibly trivial it was actually a pretty trivial ordeal for ozen to handle reg so but also was... like the requirements for like if you got down to that that level right like you already had to be a pretty much a badass and to get to do that and then the white whistle to to get the requirement for a white whistle isn't necessarily to be strong but what is it like somebody has to basically sacrifice die? themselves yeah. for you whether voluntarily or well they just you have to give up something of incredible value to get the white whistle and and in um we know that in Bondrude's case it was literally his physical body mhm we actually don't. We don't well, know what Liza is. I don't think they disclose what Liza is. I mean, right? Bondrud fits the somebody has to sacrifice yourself because he just made him. If if the condition is sacrifice, somebody has to sacrifice themselves. Bondrud just sacrificed himself to fit that condition. They, I Ozan just explained it's a huge cost, is what Ozan mm. basically said. Um, and then Bondrud kind of clarified it even further, saying, "For me, mine is made out of my physical body." I'm like, "Oh, mm. okay, yeah, that's a lot." I see. So. So but, there's definitely some definitely some question well, on how also you're making the assumption that like the concept of white whistles as we know it has existed for a long time that whole structure could be relatively new in the grand scheme of the abyss and most of the new, the denizens of Irubudu may have been, gotten there before you know like the the hierarchy of of uh of cave raiders so to speak has has been established right i like, guess we really don't know how long yeah, most of them yeah there. i i get that i guess that that's true and i i don't i didn't want to focus too much on the the system but like there are people that had like just because to get go down the elevator you had to have a white whistle and it seems more at least more interesting to me to entertain the idea that there's aren't a slew of these white whistles just lying around on the sixth layer that people just pick up and jump down the elevator right yeah I mean, I like to think so, but again, that's that's kind of the one plot thing I feel like in Abyss that they kind of try to make a like slide, like kind of just slide through. Yeah, because <laughs> I feel like the whole thing of the initial um, party of um, of traveling was count on crew just randomly coming up into this weird creature that happened to have a white whistle. Like that's a that's a lot of you know, fortuitous things to happen to be able to keep progressing. Yeah, and know the significance of it or figure it out. Yeah. And not just immediately toss it to the side. It It is, there is stuff there, but at the same time, it also, there's so much stuff that just feels like, oh, the Abyss wants people to come on almost. Like, um, 
Mm. It's true. Supernatural aspect. Yeah, it's almost it's like it's For trying sure. to get people to come down like it it you know, it's almost like it sends out the compasses and Riku somehow gets one of those compasses as well. Um and it's like all of these various it's almost like all these relics and things and people have this draw to the place like in spite of the the dangers and everything so there there definitely is you know as they all say there is this draw to it it's like it wants people to explore so i could see at some point before things got codified that it almost could be oh well hey i'm going to i'm going to help i'm going to help out these people i'm going to i'm going to give them i'm going to you know monkey paw help them and give them the white whistle to get them down to the next layer mm. I will say the most, the most, it occurs to me, the most improbable thing about all of that is that somebody's going to pick up this nasty whistle off the ground <laughs> and then put it up to their lips and blow on it. Like, there's just unbelievable. Well, I can't. Well, Rico didn't have to blow on Pushka. She just touched it and it resonated and it opened up the thing. So you don't necessarily. And, and I think they said as well with the. Okay with the one that the ganja crew found that they found like this creature with this weird little whistle thing. And they kind of, it looked like there was this, you know, like the little pot in the middle of the thing. They just kind of like put it in there. Then all of a sudden the thing went. Oh, okay. Well, they, I believe it all now. <laughs> um, all right. Let's, <laughs> let's go to another character. Uh, let's go to Fapta. Yeah, let's let's go. let's dig in let's dig into Fapta because I think Fapta is a really cool character um on the uh you know on the I haven't read all the stuff but on the Crunchyroll Awards the Fapta's Japanese VA was you know nominated for one of the best you know performances of the year I forget the others but they're not as good as as Fapta um I think I remember briefly reading something saying that uh she was like literally lost her voice I think several times in recording uh, in doing the voice recording for the character. Um, I would imagine when she's doing like the shrieking in the final episodes, yeah. when, oh, when yeah. she's like howling, basically, I would imagine that really took a lot out of her. And there's, there's so much interesting stuff there with, with character growth from Fopta's birth as a avatar of destruction of this place that is trying to destroy it. And then like, nearly immediately finds Gabaron and like for whatever reason decides that she wants to become friends with him. I, I think there with Gabaron it's um because that what he was buried buried so he didn't never went into the city so he never had the smell of 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 mom on him which would have marked him for destruction. Mm. Yeah, and also I think at that point, because we really actually don't know how long it was from when Fapta discovered Gaburon, you know, when she was born to when she discovered Gabu, because it just kind of, they, they cut into the flashback where she finds him in that dank cave, and, you know, he he suddenly awakes because he, you know, sees, uh, he observes something new in Fapta, and then she decide he he just she decides to offer her assistance and he starts to kind of be amazed at the fact that she is just a literal sponge for picking up information right like she learned at a feverish yep. pace um like a, a language like multiple languages you know when, even when she met reg right she picked up you know his language in in a hurry that was actually so. that was something i was trying to find that scene when i was i was skipping back through season two and i was trying to find the scene where they where it shows them first meeting. And I, I couldn't find it, unfortunately, because I was trying to see, like, what language did Reg speak there? I I can't recall, but I believe Reg was speaking 
the language of uh of the you know, what they yeah. called the ancient ones which is i believe the language of Irumiru's okay, people the, yeah the so, Irubudu language the same yeah i i believe hmm. so i could be wrong but oh, it, it could also just be he spoke whatever they speak in the seventh layer because he came from the 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 very 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 deep place um but which also probably means that reg is also capable of picking up um multiple languages right it could be that the language that we heard reg speaking through fapta is actually what everybody speaks but in order to make the show you know like like watchable they just turned it into japanese for the sake of you know the listeners yeah um but yeah but yeah fapta so such a such a complex character yeah there's so much there was just like so much character growth and particularly at the end where you know she starts to make her own decisions and you know kind of comes to this decision that no she doesn't actually need to just be this ancient this agent of destruction for for the city after you know she kind of partially does it and then almost kind of stops after she gets pretty much eaten eaten alive by all of the creatures of the sixth layer well what was interesting to me was at first yeah she's literally the angel of death right where the whole scene where when reg you know, does the incinerator and she appears at least she literally appears as some sort of, you know, uh, uh, like, like angelic presence coming down to earth to, you know, to, to wreak vengeance. And, uh, you know, literally all the denizens are, are quivering and, and, and crying at her, like, you know, appearance. And then you see whole wholesale carnage for quite a long time. I mean, she was not wasting time in, uh, wreaking vengeance upon all the people in Uruburu. And then, you know, things happened, and eventually she starts to have the epiphany that this, this one, this moment is, you know, what's defined her existence, but then she realizes does it need to? Does this have to be the point of her whole, whole, her whole point of existence? And then once all these sixth layer creatures start, you know, dogpiling in she realizes you know well anybody can come in and destroy this place but i need to do it because i want to set my like put my mother at rest right she her ultimate goal was to finally let Udemui like rest like be at peace right and that's I, at yeah that's and that's I kind of a that's kind of a question there i have there is like was that actually where you know Udemui had gotten to or it because it seems like you know they said that like you know Irumui's the the Irubudu city had like expanded so much and that it was like you know Vueco says it's like such a nice you know it's kind of says like oh it's like actually be, I hated it at first but it became this nice place so that's one of those things where I'm like oh was Irumui actually still in like you know some phase of eternal suffering or did she birth the final the final child of 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 Vapta as a the thing and then maybe things changed after that but Vapta was there stuck with her you know what whatever you call it a you know nature over nurture this would be the the nature part taking over for what she had to do which was to destroy based on uh based on what she would had kind of in born with for from the uh from the 
cradles of desire. And then at some point, it stopped to me at least being more destroying. And at some point, all of the remaining, you know, few uh, residents uh, residents of um, Uruburu basically sac- like they heard her calling. They said, "The princess is calling. We must." They like they wanted to help, and by help, they basically wanted to return what they took from her, which was you know anything that that Uruburu granted them and give it back to Fapta so that she can complete her mission like that was what they desired didn't they always kind of revere yeah. her too like so it, it, not exactly a change in perspective but now is their chance yeah because they yeah because they were off. saying like oh she's called out in like anger and stuff and this was the first time that she called out in like kind of like okay help me and they're like all right we're in literally we'll be in you well, I feel like maybe it was, I think it was a perspective change, not on just on Vapta, but the residents too, because for the entirety of season two, basically they called her the embodiment of value and a piece of her was titanically valuable. Like basically to get Nanachi back, they simply needed to obtain a piece of her, right? That was Bregg's whole mission for the most of the, the, the season was get a piece of Fapta so that they can get Nanachi back since obviously giving up most of Rico was not worth it. So we now know that one Nana so that one Miti equals one Nanachi equals a half of a Rico equals one of Fapta's arms, right? Like that's kind of the exchange rate we're it seeing. It seems here. like it could have been less so. than that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> I mean, we do know that, you know, Rico was viewed as, you know, as the most valuable thing in Iruburu outside of Fapta, but Fapta was just so so much more astronomically valuable to everybody, right? And so I think initially I felt like when Fapta came, people were trying to capture her, make make her theirs, own her. But I think at the end they decided, no, we want to go back and to go back to whence we came and, you know, help you and become part of you. Like so instead of owning her, they wanted to become part of her is what I, is kind of what I was interpreting it as. I feel like their idea of, I, I think I agree with that, but I also feel like their, her being the most valuable means also a little bit different than what we view as value, like less like a thing to possess and more like um, she is kind of like, well, like a royalty, right? Like uh, the the king is the embodiment of his kingdom. So in that respect, uh, he's the most valuable thing. Yeah, that makes sense. There's, there's yeah. a lot of or like uh, she has the power to destroy their entire existence, so that gives her value, possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting, yeah, angles angles to evaluate her from. But suffice to say, uh, this uh, going back to my the the whole comment thing you know she she ends everything and i the reason why i'm okay with her whole sosu thing is because they actually gave a justification for it in her uh flashbacks right like gabu said you know in your mother's tongue ending everything in sosu is like a sign of nobility so that she's like i want to be more noble so i i'm gonna end everything in sosu like it was her trying to become you know refine herself right to impress reg to impress gabu so i found that really like adorable actually so i was that's why i was actually perfectly okay with her whole like sosu on after every single phase. Yeah. I appreciated that 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 justification and um but and I won't while I won't say that it annoyed me the whole time I 
I still think it's a, a stupid thing, justification or not. Like, <laughs> I'm glad at that least they, they gave it. a justification yeah. <laughs> because I can't. I feel like most characters or creatures that do that never get it. It's just it's their thing and they're cute. Well, at least yeah. with Fapta, it's like we get the explanation for it. So I, 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 they at least put forth the effort to explain why. On top yeah. of, you know, she's this this hauntingly one thing i am impressed by with her design they made her like this haunt i would call definers hauntingly beautiful right like i wouldn't say she's beautiful in the normal sense of like a of evaluating like a human's beauty but just you know they i, I don't know something about the design i found very hauntingly beautiful so it, it, reg kind of said the same thing like reg's also like the, the he's kind of like the harem main character of the show right he's like he's he's collecting all the all of the cute characters that he thinks that things that he finds attractive right so yeah i i think that's one of the the things that from both you know seasons one two and three or tv one movie two and, and three is that i think between particularly between reg riku and nanachi that it's one of the things that i think makes this show really work so well is that they're all they're all characters with their strengths and weaknesses. None of them are the superheroes where you're just like, oh, they're the best at everything and they're wonderful. It's like, no, they have stuff that they're really bad at. And you can see that there's times where they try to get better at it. Um Well, and and the and I'm glad you brought that up because the thing about season TV two that I uh, that I really liked was this was basically each one of the main characters power up arcs all in one season right like you got to see Rico actually use her you know her wits and her all of the stuff she's learned in the academy to help Yudobudo during the luring like she didn't have Reg or Nanachi with her for huge chunks of the season and she still was able to get you know be be accomplished and and, and navigate her way around the city like when she bartered her hair with uh, Majikaja to to turn him into that race car for that one episode right like <laughs> that was you know her using the what resources she had reg obviously you know was he was already like powerful in the sense of in the combat sense but this was you know humanizing him a bit more showing his weakness showing that you know his limitations of you know this is the repercussions of him being indecisive um that you know that really i feel like was his whole thing and then nanachi's whole lesson was just uh a little bit more, I don't know, esoteric almost, like understanding, like their own their own value. And I mean, she didn't really. She was kind of knocked out for yeah, a good part yeah. of it. So. Just, and then and then just woke up and being like, and now you get some new, cool new armor and some, yeah. and this this awesome fishing rod, and you get to save the day. Yeah, as like the you know in the in the in the final final hour she. Nanachi actually came in and was the the, the saver right? because Reg was incapacitated for whatever the two puts hours. On, puts on Link's thing. blue armor and gets out the fishing rod and goes to Lake Hylia <laughs> and really catches some big fish. Yes, the biggest um, fish. Yeah, and I think Fapta definitely falls in there too because like she's supposed to be you know this immortal princess sure. and you know she's revered, but you know she's deeply flawed in all sorts of in all sorts of ways. And then through personal choice and growth and pain you know overcomes at least for a little bit and gets a little better you know we kind of stop after we the, the show pretty much stops right at the end of where you could say that oh you know she's grown a bit too and there's no statement they leave it very open there as to whether or not she's going to be traveling with them um i think 
I don't think it's very open and here's my explanation because during the season they explain the whole uh value system right of the symbols and that the upside down person stick figure symbol is is haku with the most the most valuable thing right and so the whole reason why rag left was to yep. find his haku right that's why fapta allowed him to leave the first time and fapta uh labeled you know her haku and she said i'm allowed to have three because i was born from three eggs so the first is of course iruburu that's you saw the symbol when you walked in that Mm -hmm. makes sense it's her mother the second is gabu which also makes sense because gabu is like her permanent companion and then the third was reg so she she at the end of the season she lost two of the three she herself she gave up her mom and Gabu was destroyed there's only one haku left for her and that's reg there's no way she's just gonna let reg wander off and not go with him. I I just don't see that happening. Narratively, I kind of I think you're right, but I also kind of hope that she doesn't because <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I feel like she is a character who I fear will be very annoying going forward. And then having four characters when like already this season they had to knock out one of them to keep the story flowing the way they wanted to. Like I worry about that it's almost like 4.5 right because prushka was definitely a factor like no spoken lines but prushka was view was being treated like a character like fapta was actually talking to the whistle like prushka was communicating with her as if she was still a person so i mean i don't i wouldn't count that any more than i would count like liza where they talk about liza a lot like i don't know that yeah it's She's not that much of a character. I, I, I see. I kind of see both those interpretations there. But yeah, I kind of go with like, yeah, she's like a secondary or a supporting, a supporting role. But it is, but it is treated oh, as sure, a for character, sure. like for, supporting. Um, for sure. Yeah, and that kind of uh, that that discussion there kind of goes into uh, that there has been a I believe that, that that there has been a TV three that has been announced. Um, so kind of. Well, one question there, who knows how long it's going to be before it comes out, but if they've announced it, it might not be forever. Um, so one of my questions is, when, when do we read the manga? <laughs> oh, no. I yeah, mean, Nick, have you been I reading have not it all? looked at it at all. Uh, uh, astonishingly, I've been managing to avoid picking it up, I, but I really don't know if I'll be able to, depending on how long they opt to delay um season three because i was saying the same thing about haikyuu where i was like no 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 i'm gonna watch through the end but they release like one season every two to four years <laughs> yeah so it's just like oh my gosh it's gonna take it like over a decade i don't want another i don't need another eva situation here so i just <laughs> screw it i'm gonna read the manga and i was very happy with it i'm sure i'd be it'd be similar with the with the manga and obviously i would still watch whatever tv came out because the execution's just so good so mm-hmm. As long as, I mean, to me, again, like, every factor is either a 9, like, a, like a, at lowest, like, an 8.5, and, and several of them are 10s. Like, again, Kev, like Kevin Penkin's score is oh, perfect, untouchable. Like, I, I'm hard, like, it's up there with, like, Cowboy Bebop, Eva, like, these, you know, all-time Criterion classics. I put it there because the amount of emotion they can invoke in me is, is unreal. So Yeah, they're... And yeah. he made, and like they made up a language for the music too. Like they literally speak gibberish in it, but it still sounds like perfect. Yeah, it's really good. I, I I'm not sure if I would 
put him necessarily in the high echelons, but the soundtrack is perfect for this show. I feel like uh, it's it's so good. I it's one of those that I don't know if I want to listen to it outside of it because it might spoil it some. Uh, I I listen to them all the time. For me, they're great. I think I, I really yeah I think they're all really good. Just lots of really interesting, different kinds of musics and things there. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, okay. So there's no answer as to when to read the manga. It'll be when all of a sudden someone will be like, nope, I can't take it anymore and snaps and, and says, nope, I've got to read. I got to know. I can't wait for for years. <laughs> I will say the magic eight ball, fictitious magic eight ball, tells me probably by years end I'll probably cave and then start and start. <laughs> and it depends how far ahead the manga even is from the anime too. <laughs> My understanding is it's actually not that far ahead, which is why a lot of people suspect that the announcement for season TV3 was so soon, because they were like, well, there's really not much beyond this in manga right now. So I don't know how, if they're trying to do a, you know, uh, make up stuff thing, or they, they're confident that Tsukushi will be able to release more material mm-hmm. in time. So that, that's really up in the air. I will say, like, I would not hate um, Side Story, like, for a whole season. Oh yeah, just stuff like, that's not covered in the manga but is relevant. Uh... Well, there's so many characters that like the the whole. I don't know if you guys ever got to it, but those little shorts they did with uh, with Maruk, like the day in the life of Maruk, and they're like eight minute shorts and they're freaking I, hilarious. I haven't oh, gotten there yet. I, I got the yeah, DVDs. Should, I haven't. Yeah, I got the Blu-rays explicitly to watch those and haven't done that yet. Yeah, they're freaking hilarious. Um, so. You know, they, I feel like they, and they could do like literally like fa- like an episode worth of content on several characters up in Orth, probably just you know the day in the life of them without Rico, without Rico and Reg. Or just cover historical events, right? That happened before the show would be. Oh yeah, all up berserk, where you have like entire like, <laughs> gosh, how many volumes of like <laughs> the, the history of of whatever that 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 planet is right like they they that's actually what muta did at one point was like and now you get to see the entire history of this world and i was like what so i would love it yeah yeah i mean i'd be okay with it too like i, I would be okay with abyss going artificially long just because i am so fascinated with the world and like the the world building and the characters and everything yeah. so just uh, you know, if they could start to tone down the amount of in- intense suffering that children have in the world, I would be a little bit more okay with it. Yeah, it'd be nice to have a break from that. Like plenty of other <laughs> other people can have plenty of suffering. Adults, adults can suffer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Adult yeah. suffering. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you like, I could easily see if it. It's one of those things, right? If it was done right, like I could be cool with the whole uh, season of uh, Maiden Abyss, the o- Ozen Gaiden. Oh man, yeah, mm-hmm. I could watch Oz- I could watch any Ozone content. It wasn't such a um, cool character. Okay. Um and another aside that uh Or you could do young Liza. That's what I feel might be I feel like I, I see what you're going there, like that could be cool, but I'm I'm worried that there's so much Liza Riku stuff in there that it's like, oh, uh, that one might kind of like give away too much where it feels more like Ozen's one degree yeah. separated. So it's kind of like, okay, yeah. you kind of know, but you're not like potentially telling uh, you so, know, Darth Vader's growing up, growing up Vader story. Yeah. To, to mm-hmm. me, part of the interest of Liza is how little we know about her, right? Like we just know that she's Rico's biological mom and that her nickname is the Annihilator. And that's basically about the gist of it. Um, 
and that she's also a mess outside of the abyss. Like she's a drunkard and a troublemaker. So other than that, we don't we we get these snapshots of her, but we don't really know a whole lot about her as in uh, like a detailed character. And I think it's better that way. At least at least for me, that mystery huh. definitely helps. For now, yeah. like I, I do yeah, eventually want them to explain it, but yeah. Yes, um, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know if we discussed if this was on or off recording last time, but one of my, you know, it would be amazing, but also one of my deepest, darkest fears is that Liza is actually like the worst of all of the White Whistles, and you're going to see some really, really <laughs> messed up stuff once Liza is in the uh... picture. I'm just like, I don't want to see that, but at the same time, I certainly wouldn't put it past this series to do that. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. Um. Okay, speaking of one more aside uh, thing, I'll, I'll call out you, Nick, because I think you're the one who purchased it. So there's the PS4 game that was released. Nope. Oh, yeah. Doesn't nope, exist? Nope, doesn't exist. Uh-uh. Did you, I, I'm just <laughs> nope. curious, like, the ga- nope. so it sounds like the game itself, the gameplay is not, was not done well in anything. I was curious if you tried to play or do anything of the, the new original scenario that they did. So he, so this is not really a spoiler. So the whole thing about the main character portion and the make your own character portion was actually kind of misleading. The first two hours is basically a tutorial for all of the system stuff, and that's with Rico okay. and Reg. And then once, and then it ends with them diving into Abyss. So like whatever episode mm-hmm. four of season one, and then that's when you make your character and you do your thing. So it's really not. Like that as divergent oh. as they made it sound. It's basically like a glorified mm. tutorial, and then have fun in the abyss. Except it's really limited. The combat is awful. The hit registration is awful. Like it feels like in the combat, it feels like you're playing a an online game back in like 2005 with dial up, where like you have to lead the hits because the Ugh. lag is so bad. Ugh. It feels like that, and I'm like, God, how could you make it this bad? Like. Truthfully, I would be so much happier with like a fan game of Made in the Abyss that's like a Metroidvania. I think that would be sick. Oh, man. I would like like imagine like Cave Story, but with Reg and yeah, Rico like Spelunky, Spelunky Made in Abyss edition. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thinking, what's that one? Um. Shoot, Team Cherry. What is that? Oh, that sounds familiar. Team Cherry. That's the the bug one. Oh goodness, I can't believe I'm talking about. Uh, Hollow Knight? Hollow Knight. Yeah, Hollow Knight. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Hollow Knight's a, 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 that game is a masterpiece. So like the mood of that and the design fits pretty well. They actually probably would make a phenomenal Made in Abyss um, Metroidvania because it, in many ways, Hollow Knight has kind of similar things. Like it's really dark. The map is hand drawn, like kind of hand drawn-y. Like it's not Mm -hmm. like a, like a digital map. So yeah. And I mean, that if nobody's played that game, play it. If you at all enjoy, um, like Symphony of the Night or you know Super Metroid, that's what a Metroidvania is for the for those young youngins who don't necessarily know the <laughs> colloquial. Um, highly recommend those. But yeah, uh, long story short, Made in the Abyss game unfortunately just had too many um, mechanical flaws to make it a pleasant gaming <sighs> experience. So I really couldn't get super far in it because as playing it was not fun, and that's the ultimate disappointment. Is I feel like the setting is perfect for a roguelike or oh, a roguelite, yeah. and they just couldn't execute it, and that's, that's really unfortunate. Um, I'm pretty sure it did very poorly, so I'm sure they're probably not going to try again. Okay. 
So we are nearly out of time. So I will put around and let people give uh, give last thoughts. And I think we will set aside Maiden Abyss for a while, and we will be back at some point, surely to to go back into the abyss. Um, but we'll, we'll stop here in a couple minutes. So uh, I will go around and start with Sam. Final final thoughts. I think through the course of this, I kind of got out most of my thoughts on this. Just looking at what I uh... yeah, um, I will say that uh, you, I am, I'm convinced now. You've convinced me that uh, there's some time dilation going on, um, but I'm that also disappoints me because I don't, I don't like what that means in terms of like plot holes. Um, whenever you mess with time, it really you end up with some holes that are hard to plug. But uh, who knows? Um, Squishy has shown that he's pretty good at planning ahead, so maybe it all works out in the end in a cool way. Okay. Yep. Uh, let's see here. I will, I will come in with my last thoughts, which is, uh, yeah, TV, TV2 is excellent. I really hope TV three happens and it continues to be great. And, um, there's just, yeah, it's, it's definitely a show where you watch this and then I go and try to watch other shows and I'm like, well, I'm just going to probably watch abyss rather than whatever garbage random isekai show is, is on. Cause they're just, it's done so much better. The drawings, everything you can just see is done with care throughout. And, uh, and that's uh, always an excellent thing to see someone where the whole the whole staff clearly cared a lot and put in the effort. Uh, next, I will Definitely. I will go to Mike. I guess the one thing that I well, I'm not sure if I'm disappointed or not, but I kind of wished that they had been able to get some sort of a message back after this season, like they were after the first season, just so we could see how all the people we met at the top are doing. But, and that would kind of answer the time dilation question a little more definitively. That's a fair point. We're opening a new hole. Yeah, always a question. But ultimately, I guess we really weren't as connected with them they were well past the point of no return at this point so it's not you know a horrible disappointment but i kind of found myself wishing for it at the end of the season yeah okay nick i mean i feel like i made my absolute adoration for abyss season two known at the end of last episode so i'll leave that there one thing i'll say is i did actually have a pretty significant epiphany while recording this episode uh, because I distinctly remember saying uh, during our Hanzoki episode that I actually did not care for Abyss Season 2's ending. I actually retract that statement. Not, well, mostly because I started to, like, I didn't care for the song, but I didn't really listen to the lyrics. And then finally I started listening to the lyrics and looking at the actual what was going on and what I came to realize was I didn't care for Abyss Season 2's ending initially because it was it was not Season 1's ending, which I thought was adorable, and it had the cool map at the end, and I think I had the strong mm-hmm. association with that. 
Abyss 2 is it's you know it's dark you, all you see is a lot of like kind of like you know you know forms and, and like light forms and darkness waving around and I didn't really get the message and I finally think I got it because I started looking at the lyrics the song is basically in my opinion it's Irumui basically telling Vueko that that it's nothing is her fault and that she still loves her because literally the opening lyrics are I still remember you the time we shared the love you gave though everything has changed you push me to live on and when you think about what the background is I believe that's all of Iromui's unborn kids kind of swirling around because that's what they look like they're kind of those mm. non- nondescript gray blobs and there's even a part where you actually see the shape of one of the eggs I, at one point. So I'm like, oh. I I totally, I agree with that. I didn't have that same thought of the Irumui, but once you started talking about that, I was like, oh, is that like Irumui or Irubudu? Like almost like singing to someone. I think to Voiko makes sense. And then that makes it even more sad because everything has to be sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so I, I do, I will say my final statement is I retract my statement about not liking Abyss 2's ending. I just didn't realize what it really represented until I looked a little bit deeper. So I'm glad I did because I still continue to to chip away at the stone that is kind of you know kind of analogous to the to the artisan who who ended up reshaping uh, Prushka, right? Like I keep chipping away and making Abyss even shinier and even more polished looking in my <laughs> eyes. To, so yeah, to look I'm glad further for down that. into the abyss. Um, yeah, obviously, if it isn't clear, recommend this show still uh you know i think we've we've covered all the topics we need to cover for now but more than likely i'll probably end up reading the manga before the year is done let's be real (laughs) okay so next time on amo kenzoku we will be doing a long long overdue uh fall 22 kind of pre slash review slash post view and we'll be combining it with the winter 23 pre slash mid-season view what are the winners what are the losers what series are just avoid at all costs and which ones are actually pretty cool we will discuss all of these things and probably not more because that's definitely enough content for an hour uh next time so until then thanks for listening and this is amo kenzoku saying saraba